0: made even amidst the winter wonderland that you all drove through or you are enjoying uh, through your window. This is the day the Lord has made. Whether you come this morning filled with anxiety and fear or hope and promise, this is the day the Lord has made. Whether you come this morning filled with gladness or carrying a sadness, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Join me uh, in this call to worship that you'll find on the screen. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? why is my heart so sad i will put my hope in god i will praise him again my savior and my god each day the lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through each night i sing his songs praying to god who gives me life why am i discouraged why is my heart so sad I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Let us stand and put our hope in God through praise and song.
1: Let's sing together.
2: We thank you that you are indeed in this place and that you are the source of all joy. We thank you that you have made us new creations in Christ and that we have an old life and now we are in this new life, God. We thank you so much that you have promised to begin or to complete this work that you have begun in us. And so we praise you this morning, no matter what is going on in the world around us, things that steal our joy and steal life. God, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are, and we know that you are our rock. We pray that as we continue to worship you this morning, God, that we would find our rest and our peace in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Come, you weary heart. Come.
3: Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. you. It is good to gather with you for worship again this, the first day of the week, and on a Sunday in which we have a winter wonderland out there. It looks a little Narnia ish with this light and fluffy snow out there that we get to drive through to get here. We're mindful also that we have friends online who are possibly tuning in from places like Florida, and so hope you are enjoying the sunshine as we are enduring the beauty here. Uh, but glad to be with you together in worship this morning. My name is Ross Dealman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Many of you help us live out this mission day by day, not only when we gather on campus around here, but also as we scatter out into our neighborhoods and beyond, and we're grateful for that. Today, I have four announcements for our life together that uh, help name the ways that we live into that mission. The first is a celebration that just this past Tuesday night, this stage was filled with something a bit different in a really cool way. It was the Boys and Girls Club Youth of the Year. We were honored for them to simply use our facility and populate this place with some kids who were taking turns sharing their stories. Uh, And uh, many of them uh, telling tales of coming out of difficult circumstances and how they are shining as lights in their various places. Really cool to have them here and to see also the ways in which Fellowship Church uh, helps support the boys and girls ministry. and, uh, And we're grateful for that. It was a cool night to be here. Second thing is an opportunity for you to continue serving alongside a family that we've already loved for some time. The Marimbe family are continuing the process of moving into what will be their home. And uh, with Habitat for Humanity, uh, the way the process works is, is that they acquire a certain amount of hours, service hours, some of which they do themselves and some of which are done by people, the community that gathers around them, us. And right now they're at about 37 out of 60 required hours uh, service work. And so we're inviting you to join in and serve alongside them at the Habitat House. You can sign up online. You can uh, follow the link that's in your bulletin or even at the uh, welcome desk out back to sign up and join among those who help accrue those hours and actually get the job done uh, and, and love the Marimbe family along the way. It's a great opportunity. Third thing is I want to remind you that next Sunday, February 20, uh, particularly for our 9 a.m. service, so maybe not y'all, but uh, at that 9 a.m. service, we're going to have some elevated safety measures, expecting masks worn in, that, in the sanctuary for that particular service. We're well aware that this is a volatile subject. There's been strong opinions on all sides about it, and yet, as we just said, we are a community that seeks to live our mission to focus more on our centered in Christness than on all the other issues that might pull us apart. And we're aware that there are some in our faith community that have not been here worshiping in person for a long time uh, for safety concerns for themselves or for others. And so next week, Sunday, February 20, we've said that at the 9 a.m. service, this would be a mass-expected place. And if you're looking to worship with us at that time, Uh, uh, but are not looking to wear a mask, you can do what we're asking them to do right now, which would be join in the gym. It's just an inverted kind of expectation. Uh, Or also uh, join with us at this time, 10.30, which would be just like it is right now. Uh, We hope that you join us in that way of simply recognizing that amidst all the difficulties, we want to love each other well and look forward to some folks who might be with us online in particular, if that's you and you want to join us next week at 9 a.m., We'd be thrilled to have you in our company. So, uh, and and for that journey as we try to sort out what's best together, your grace is appreciated. Last but not least, we have an update from Heather Postma, who moved—a little curveball on me right there—from our search team. Wonderful group.
2: Hi, fellowship. Um, this is on right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, we we have some exciting news. Uh, we have narrowed our search down to one and we are so excited to have Consistory meet her uh, at the end of this month. She, you are going to love her as we love her already. Um, she's very personable. She already embodies the mission of fellowship, and um, her love of walking alongside people and her love for Jesus. And so we are so excited to have you all meet her. And um, the process will continue here as uh, the next steps after Consistory would be to meet all of you here at church. And again, just keep uh, her in your prayers in this process. And um, I know Nate and Ross, they've done a great job of filling in the gaps, but I'm sure they're excited as well to have this third person.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Heather. And uh, high fives all around, and thanks be to God in terms of the way that it's been. The process has gone smoothly. The team that has been uh, leading the charge is a wonderful team, and we're grateful for how smooth it's been and how God has seemed to be in it. And we continue to invite you uh, to join in prayer uh, for these next steps as we move closer to that hopeful finish line together. As we continue in worship this morning, I invite you to stand and let's sing together. Well, friends, at this time, I have the honor of introducing to you our guest preacher for this morning. Her name is Sherry Osting She is wonderful, and I think you'll be delighted to hear from her this morning. But just simply given the timing, I feel like forthrightness is helpful, and we joked about this even together this morning about how given the timing that we just made an announcement about uh, our our search process to name that Sherry is not a candidate. She did not apply. She is just a friend of fellowship, and she's a uh, a gifted person. We're thrilled to have her in our midst, and uh, I've known her for some years now. As long as I've been here at fellowship, she's been the one, the go-to person over at Western Theological Seminary where she still is and she helps uh, coordinate churches uh, with interns. And so Reagan, sitting right next to her right now, is a great example, and Fellowship has had a line of interns with us throughout the years. It's been a joy to be a teaching church, and we do so with the help and coordinating work of Sherry, although she just recently shifted her role, and so she'll be in a, in a new role now at the seminary, actually starting this past semester. She is Project Director of Churches in mission. So she helps churches like Fellowship and and many others live into our local missions, and uh, it's a wonderful gift to churches. She comes to us as far away as Waukazoo Woods, and so thank you for making that terrible long drive all the way here. We're glad to have you in our midst. She comes from Princeton Theological Seminary, where she still contributes to podcasts there. Uh, The Distillery, which is a wonderful, uh, uh, compelling title. Uh, And of course, she's uh, employed over at Western Theological Seminary, serving there. She's married, has a husband, and four kids. And so you've been doing the same juggle that many of you guys have, especially through the pandemic of trying to figure out how to do that well. and, And we're grateful to have her uh, in our midst this morning. One other thing, just because this is a connection with fellowship, I didn't say this in the first service, but for years she worked with Kyle Small, right? So she put up with him, and, and they both made each other better, right? It's a good thing. So That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he struggled. Anyway, would you give her a warm fellowship welcome as she comes to the pulpit? <laughs> Thanks.
4: Thank you so much for having me today. It's a real gift to be with you my neighbors and to have the chance to worship together this morning. So, and I'm grateful that Ross just leans into the awkward, I'm not your candidate, Uh, but I love being in awkward spaces with people. So I'm grateful to have that named. We'll continue in your journey through the narrative lectionary. And today our scripture reading comes to us from John chapter seven. We're gonna read this in multiple voices in one attempt to convey how much is going on in this passage of scripture and how many different voices we hear from. Before we read, please pray with me. Lord, may the words of our mouths and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Listen now for the word of the Lord from John chapter seven. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Now the Jewish festival of booths was near, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him.
5: Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I am not going to this festival, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his
4: brothers had gone to the festival, then he also went, not publicly, but as it were, in secret.
6: The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, Where is he?
2: And there was considerable complaining about him among the crowds.
6: While some were saying, He is a good man, Others were saying, no, he is deceiving the crowd.
4: Yet no one would speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach.
6: The Jews were astonished at it, saying, how does this man have such learning when he has never been taught?
5: Then Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there is nothing false in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I performed one work and all of you are astonished. Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment.
2: Now some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is not this the man whom they are trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man is from, but when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from.
5: Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, you know me and you know where i am from i have not come on my own but the one who sent me is true and you do not know him i know him because i am from him and he sent me
4: then they tried to arrest him but no one laid hands
2: on him because his hour had not yet come yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying when the messiah comes will he do more signs than this man has done The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering such things about him, and the chief
4: priests and Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him.
5: Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come.
6: The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will search for me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come.
4: On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out,
5: let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scriptures have said, out of the believer's heart, shall flow rivers of living water
4: this is the word of the lord thanks, thanks, be, thanks be to, to god. god as i began to prepare for this sermon today and spend time with this text i went to the the preaching resource website workingpreacher.org and the first article about this text was written by a well-known preacher named david Lose. And this is his summary of the text that we have today. There's simply no getting around it. This is a very challenging passage on several fronts. I say, amen, Dr. Los. <laughs> Unlike other passages, especially if you recall John chapter 1, it's simply poetry. It makes you wanna get out your paintbrushes or your journal to just bask in the beauty of it. By sharp contrast, we are at the beginning of two pretty grueling chapters about conflict. These two chapters in their entirety focus on disagreements and controversy about Jesus. They get a lot of airtime at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry. People strongly disagree about who Jesus is. This provides us an opportunity to spend some time sitting in the middle of that controversy reflecting on just how strong and wide-ranging these thoughts and opinions were. Now, if, if John 7 were a script for a play, we would encounter kind of two groups of characters. On the one side, we have the main character, who's Jesus. And on the other side, we have a large cast of minor characters. Jesus, of course, has become the center of conversation, the center of controversy, the center of all of this talk. And on the other side, there's the minor characters doing all of the talking. We'll spend a little more time later parsing out those minor characters, but first, to simply consider the dynamic between these two. Have you ever found yourself the talk of the town, the middle of the conversation? If you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, you can attest to the fact this usually isn't a good thing. This usually isn't a welcome place of comfort. To have everyone talking about you is usually harmful to some extent. A recent podcast episode on This American Life told this with clarity. It tells the story of a high school student named Nivea, who is in Traverse City, Michigan. And without her knowing, she became the center of a large and controversial conversation. Because a group of white students at her high school, she was one of only a few students of color at this school and a group of white students has started a Snapchat group that they titled Slave Trade. And in this group, the students were posting pictures of black and biracial students at their school and pretending to engage in a marketplace where they would buy and sell and trade these other students as though they were property. A student told Nevaeh what was happening and the podcast episode talks about the horrible reality that she lived, finding out that people she thought were her friends were doing this kind of thing and then it went to the school board, and eventually it became public through the media. For Nevea and for others like her, to be the center of conversation, to be the talk of the town is harmful and dangerous. And for Jesus in our text, this reality is even life-threatening. Now, of course, in our lives, we also at times find ourselves in the other group of people, in this minor cast of characters We find ourselves as the ones doing the talking. And usually, if you're in a social group like a church or a youth group, when you talk about somebody, it's because they've come in and they've disrupted your social norms. Maybe maybe they don't intuit the things they're supposed to do. They go to the wrong parties. They talk to the wrong people. They wear the wrong clothes. Maybe they speak with an accent. Maybe they just say their opinion too often and too strongly, and they aggravate the people around them. Sometimes this happens when you get a new pastor or a new boss at work or a new kid who moves into your school district. So people quietly retreat to have their side conversations and figure out what's going on with them. Or maybe they take out their phones and have side conversations on text or via WhatsApp. In John chapter seven, Jesus is the disruptive figure who's making people uncomfortable. They're trying to figure out what in the world is going on with this guy. John is going to show us that it really matters what conclusions people draw about who this man is. Today we have a unique opportunity to eavesdrop on this controversy. We get to hear the kinds of controversies that Jesus sparked. The scene unfolds during the Jewish Festival of Booths and I will venture a guess that none of you have observed this festival lately. So to set the stage, this is a week-long harvest festival. This is a celebration people would have journeyed to jerusalem they would have set up booths that they would have lived in for a week and they would thank god for the harvest there were liturgies to mark this moment there were water libations and torch led processions so in addition to thanking god for the harvest this year it was also a time to remember the ways that god had been faithful over and over again in the past A reminder of the Israelites and how they journeyed through the wilderness and they were fed by God and water came from the rock. So as we eavesdrop on this particular festival, we start to pick up chatter. And we hear lots of different voices that we tried to represent in part here in our reading today. First, we pick up the chatter of Jesus' brothers and they bring up the disciples. Then we hear from these anonymous people in the crowd And of course, we hear from the religious leaders who are referred to as either the Jews or the Pharisees. Jesus has them all talking, and it's really clear they don't agree about who this man is. In the world of research, we would say that these people are offering their contested narratives, which is just a nerdy way of saying that they've witnessed the same person They've shared a meal with the same person, they've been taught by the same person, they've experienced the same events, and they have come to radically different conclusions about who he is and what it means. Picture the last time you were in a room when there was a really heated argument. If there were 10 people in that room, you could ask each of them afterward, what was that like? What do people say and what does it mean for us? And you could get 10 very different responses We live in a world of contested narratives, because we're human. Each of us walks into a room with different levels of education, different life experiences, different families of origin. Sometimes we come from different cultures. We have different expectations and different tools to try to understand what's happening around us. The same was true of this big cast of characters that we discover in John chapter 7. Let's revisit them briefly because I think the passage goes quickly and it's actually a little bit confusing to track along with it. What I'm about to share is Sherry Osting's unpublished and very unofficial paraphrased version of this text. You will not find this in print anywhere. But first we hear from Jesus' brothers. They want him to be famous. They're like, you got to come to this festival so people can hear about you and see who you are but parenthetically, the narrator tells us his own brothers don't actually believe in him anyway. So he sends his brothers ahead without him, and he secretly goes on his own. And just as he said, the Jews are there, and just as he said, they do want to kill him. Here's our first encounter with the crowd. The translation we read says, there was considerable complaining about him among the crowd. Some people think this guy's good. Some think this guy's a deceiver. They don't mention him to the religious leaders yet but Jesus surprises everyone. In the middle of this week-long festival, he goes to the temple and he stands up and he starts teaching. And people are appalled because he does not have the proper level of education to be doing this. He has not been formally trained. So he starts receiving critique. Eventually, Jesus accuses them right back. None of you keeps the law. Then the crowd says he's demon-possessed, he critiques them right back. He critiques their critique of his Sabbath observance for healing on the Sabbath. Others overhear all this and wonder, I wonder if this is the guy they're looking for that they want to kill. That would make sense. Others are like, I think this might be the Messiah, except for the fact that we know from our religious tradition, we won't know the hometown of the Messiah, but we know where this guy's from. Jesus challenges them too. You do know me. There are two attempts to arrest him the second one including the help of the temple police but both of those attempts fail jesus challenges them by alluding to his future where i'm going you can't go and the ironic response of the people alludes to the future moment when the gospel will be shared with all people not only with the jews To put it briefly, Jesus makes a huge mess of their festival, a huge disruptive mess, a mess that borders on turning violent. You've been journeying for a while through this particular book of the Bible. And so I'm sure that you've seen that John has a particular way of telling a story. He has a particular way of of compressing the story and the meaning of that story into the person of Jesus. One commentary puts it this way, Jesus is God's word. No line can be drawn between what Jesus says and what he does, between his identity and his mission in the world. Jesus' words and works provide full and fresh access to God. One more time, in John's Gospel, Jesus is God's word. No line can be drawn between what Jesus says and what he does, between his identity and his mission, in the world. Jesus' words and works provide full and fresh access to God. In John's gospel, everything about Jesus gets compressed into his very humanity. The same person that the disciples are walking with and sharing meals with the one who's teaching them and healing him, is the very presence of God, not a symbol that points to some other reality. Jesus come near is the closest encounter with God that's happened in all of human history. And encountering this man, encountering this Jesus changes everything, and it makes people incredibly uncomfortable. The reason is because encountering this Jesus means that there's a decision that needs to be made. John presses this question over and over and over again. Once you've encountered this man, you have to make a decision. Is this the one who has been sent by God? In pulling together all of these different and opposing responses, John pulls us as the readers into this same drama It's a drama that comes across as confusing and sometimes to a modern christian reader the ways that they're arguing about it might seem a bit irrelevant or unimportant but the underlying question is really quite simple is jesus the one sent by god john assumes that we need to answer this too if i'm really honest with you this question is one that i've been wrestling with all week is John's question, the question about whether Jesus is the one sent by God, is the same question really is pressing for us as modern Christians. Now to be sure, the text resonates. This world of contested narratives might feel a little bit too familiar. People experience the same pandemic and come to very different responses about what we should do, what it means for our lives. People look at the same leaders. We read the same articles about the same things And yet, we come to very different responses. Our world feels very much like the one portrayed in this text. Should we point to 1619 or 1776 as the cultural beginning of our nation? Should kids still be wearing masks in school? It's a little tiring to live in a world of contested narratives. And yet, to be fair, John's context is very different from our own. John's gospel was written in the context of a group of Jewish Christians who had been kicked out of the synagogue. Now, we know a little bit about religious conflict and division, but our modern, North American, pluralistic, democratic society is quite different from the first and second century Roman Empire. The Festival of Booths probably doesn't ring familiar. It's hard to picture what's going on. And yet most of us come to a place like this because we are just plain thirsty. We keep coming back to these old, old stories over and over again. We come here to sing the songs. We come here to come to the table, to dip our hands into the font over and over again. Why? Philosopher Charles Taylor wrote a tome called The Secular Age. And in it, he tries to explore the last 500 years in the Western world and this trend toward secularization. And even he lands in a place of pointing out that humans crave an encounter with the transcendent. John's Gospel describes this encounter, this human Jesus who crashes into our world, who upsets everything, and who remains present with us through the wild and untamed presence of the Holy Spirit. This reality and the way that we continue to long, the way that we continue to thirst for it, it still demands a response from us. And it still makes us wildly uncomfortable. Jesus challenges people in John 7. He contradicts everybody his brothers, the crowd, the religious leaders. He calls each of them out on their hypocrisy. He points out the way that they're using scripture and tradition and history to interpret things, and they're completely missing the point. These are smart people, but they, they can't see the person right in front of them for who he is. Perhaps the most clear and compelling call in this passage is a call toward humili- humility and a turn to confession. Because if we're honest, Jesus is confronting us too. We rely on traditions and cultures and norms. This is normal. We need ways of understanding the world around us. But there are also a lot of ways in which these things have prevented us from seeing Jesus for who he is. And from allowing Jesus to call into question all of the ways in which we have made those things primary in our interpretation of the world. We've relied on our education. We've relied on our social group. And we've failed to see Jesus in all of his fullness, all of his goodness, and all of the uncomfortable ways that he gets so close and knows us so well. John confronts us with Jesus in the middle of our messy lives, and we are challenged to see the world differently. Because when Jesus draws close to us, we cannot be left unchanged. Have we allowed Jesus to challenge our assumptions have we allowed jesus to soften us toward each other have we allowed jesus to help us reconsider who can and cannot belong to a community of faith have we allowed the holy spirit to blow through all of our interpretations and our education and our assumptions do we believe that jesus is the one sent by god on the very last day of this week-long festival. There's an abrupt change in tone. Jesus stands up again, and he extends an invitation, an invitation that we desperately need to hear, too. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 7, 37 and 38. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Thanks be to God for this challenge. Thanks be to God for how uncomfortable it makes us. And thanks be to God for the gift of this invitation. Amen.
3: join together in prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we are honest with ourselves and honest before you, this text today knocks us off dead center. It was just last week with John chapter 6 where we saw Jesus having crowds gathered around him, 5,000 plus And now there's controversy all around, and the group of faithful followers seems to dwindle down to a mere 12. Jesus has become the talk of the town, and people strongly disagree about who he is or who he should be. It's a clear reminder to us to take our own expectations in check and to approach Jesus afresh one more time to let him be who he is. And so we confess to you alongside those who gathered around him in controversy. With the brothers, we confess our desire for success and for success to be done in our ways. They looked to Jesus and thought, he needs an agent. We know how to make him popular and to make this happen more quickly. Sometimes we too want that to happen. And yet Jesus takes a different route. Help us, oh God, to see that and to see his way in particular, and especially as we live in North America, increasingly a post-Christian world. We pray that you would help us again to see Jesus afresh and to present him as he is to the world. We also confess alongside the Jewish group around him our desires for elitism. They had controversy around his education, basically wondering where's the Ivy League credentials. We, too, sometimes do that with Jesus as well, sometimes thinking that we know better than he does. And so we look at the words he said or the deeds he did and pick and choose the ones that we like that fit our thinking rather than him him stand as he is. We confess, too, with the Jerusalem crowd, just the city folk, who had a kind of secularism around them. They wondered where this Jesus came from, and if we know where he came from, and it's not the place we expect, Nazareth, Galilee, other such places, we say it's not enough. And if we don't know where he comes from, perhaps even from you, O God, it seems like it's not good enough. We play this game as the crowd was doing too. Or even like the Pharisees, we're aware and we confess our classism. They looked to him and wondered about his pedigree. He didn't quite fit who they thought he should be, and he was chased after by people on the lower rungs of society and set aside by those on the upper rungs. And that was confusing to people and is so even still today. Give us fresh eyes to see Fresh ears to hear who this Jesus is. Throughout the story, we recognize that these controversies are life-stealing. They're alarming. Sometimes they even just feel stale because they're so familiar. They're dry. They're dark. They're exclusive. And yet in the midst of it, there's Jesus, and he speaks of living water, and he says, let anyone... Let anyone who is thirsty come. The invitation is kicked wide to come and follow this man named Jesus. Help us to do that afresh, even today, even if we've been following him for decades. Help us still along the way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Worthy of every song. Worthy
1: of every song we could ever sing. the name above.
4: receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace.